to process. It is an effort to discover about the truth of stock and trade. One object is to disclose damage or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of a business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about value. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. But we're going to take the fact-finding and the fact-facing process. We took stock honestly. Next page said nothing counts but thoroughness and honesty. Nothing counts. First, there's that word first again. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup that caused our failure. Nowhere in the fourth step does it tell you to write about the good things. So what you're looking for is to find out what you did so you can quit doing that to try to practice good as you understand it. It's impossible to have a good temper and a bad temper at the same time. Being convinced itself manifested itself in various ways to it considered as common manifestation. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From its stem, all forms of spiritual disease, for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Now, this outline that I gave is pretty much similar to the one in the book. First column, who you resent. Second column, I'll leave you blank. To give you an idea of, of uh, I think, what to, uh, how to work that second column is you use, either use a name or a date or a town or a city or something to denote more than, uh, if a person that appears more than once on your list. Oh, I'm doing that. I couldn't figure out what that was. I got paper up against the microphone. <laughs> anyway, this, and on the back side here, I'll put down page numbers, uh, and the things I pretty much have already discussed. But I really try to keep it simple, so I, uh, uh, give an idea about that. And if you don't like it that way, you can write, write up your own outline. So that's what Bill said do. Make an outline of what you're going to do. And uh, I find it so simple to, for a new person in AA to use a spoiled notebook because it doesn't mean anything to anybody else. You go back, add names during the different parts of the year. The thing about doing the fourth step out and the third step out of what the book says, it's impossible to do it wrong because, and you may leave out a lot of people on your fourth step inventory. That does not make any difference. As long as you learn the process of how to get rid of these resentments and how they affected you so you can change it. I'm talking about defective relationships. Bill wrote in the 12 and 12, I remember what, uh, 870, I think, I'm probably wrong. Defective relationships have been the cause of all our woes, including our alcoholism. So that's what we're trying to do is straighten up the relationships there with people. Back to the book. We listed people, institutions, principles with whom we were angry. One of the most important things you can do in the fourth step is the next sentence. We ask ourselves why we were angry. 
If you don't understand the motive for why you acted and reacted the way you did, you won't change it. That's why the old timers taught it, uh, according to their perception, uh, here in Oklahoma City. Uh, and same way on fears, we ask ourselves why we had these fears. And that's motive. And the way they had us write the whole life story was because on page 73, on step 5, it said we wrote, uh, until we wrote, until we told somebody else our entire life story, we couldn't get sober. Now that's how they were taught here in Oklahoma City, and it was, I'm sure it was a little bit different than it was in Akron or in New York. But in black and white, the way they have left the books the same, these first 164 pages, that's the important part. Uh, back to the book. In most cases, we found this is our self-esteem, our pocketbook, our ambition, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened, so we were sore, we were burned up. On our grudge list, which that opted each name, our injury, was it our self-esteem, our security, our ambition, our personal sex relations, which had been interfered with? We were usually as definite as this example, down the bottom of the page. We went back through our lives. That's another reason for using a spiral notebook. You can go back as far back as you can remember, and that's zero to ten years old. Some people got better memory from childhood. Age has a lot to do with it. So if you use that as kind of categorically, uh, you're going to be able to start at the very beginning of when you start having these uh, resentments against other people. So nothing kind of a thoroughness and honesty. You know, in the uh, step 8 and the 12 and 12, that's one reason on page 77, I'm going to read, uh, most of you don't have 12 and 12, not do you? This bird, right? Page 77. Page 77 out of 12 and 12 on step 8. Ever AA has found he can make little headway in new adventure of living until he first backtracks to really make an accurate and unsparing survey of the human wreckage he has left in his wake. To a degree, he has already done this when taking a moral inventory. On page 81 in the 12 and 12, it says, Then as year by year we walk back through our lives as far as memory will reach, we shall be bound to construct a long list of people who have, to some extent or other, been affected by our behavior. That's page 65. When we were finished, we considered it carefully. The first thing apparent was the world and its people were often quite wrong. To conclude others was wrong as far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us, and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse, and then we restored ourselves. But the more we fought and tried to have our own way, the worse matters got. As the more the victory only seemed to win, our moments of triumph were short-lived. It is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads to only futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile. But what the alcoholic is hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience this business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal. For when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit, the insanity of alcohol returns, and we drink again. And with us to drink is to die. 
If we were to live, we had to be free of anger. To grasp the brainstorm are not this, they may be the dubious luxury of normal people, but for alcoholics, these things are a poison. We turn back to the list. Which list? Your resentment list. For it held the key to the future. We're prepared to look at that from an entirely different angle. Up the top of the page, to conclude that others was wrong, as far as most of us ever got, we're going to look at a different angle. We're going to look at what we did, not what they did. How we acted and reacted. That's what we're trying to find in doing a moral inventory. We begin to see the world and people really dominated us, not we dominated them. And that states the wrongdoing of others, fancies are real, had the power to actually kill. If fancies are real, it's our perception of how we see things, and how we see things determines how we act and react. If we see someone trying to hurt us or take something from us or do something to us, we act and react in a certain way. But what we're looking for now is not what they did, it's how we acted and reacted to them. And we have a choice of how we act and react. That's one of the freedoms we get in doing, uh, taking action on the, this step on a daily basis. We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. We realized the people who wronged us were perhaps, I didn't like that word either, I knew they were, spiritually sick. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, they, like ourselves, were sick too. Let's see those last two sentences, page 66, top two sentences, page 67, it's talking about acceptance. We learn to accept people the way they are, then we don't have to react. In that same paragraph, it gives us the resentment prayer to tell you how to get rid of the resentment. Now, when you're working on your fourth step, you will find that most of the resentments in your life will be real easy to get rid of because of time and space. But you will find some resentments that will be real, real difficult to get rid of. So when you're writing about the people on these, on your resentment list, you pray this prayer. We ask God to show us the same tolerance and pity and patience we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended us, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God saved me from being angry. Thy will be done. So you pray that prayer until you get rid of the resentment. Now, there are going to be some resentments real, real difficult to get rid of. This gal by the name of Wynn Law out in California, got sober in 1947. Her story came out in the big book in 1955, the first thing of the second edition, called Freedom from Bondage. It's the next to last story in the book, 544 to 553. Now, on page 552, there was a minister gave her a course of action to take that got rid of the worst resentment in her life. Uh, uh, it just now dawned on me. I, I got all kinds of books sitting on my kitchen table, and uh, when I had my book made, I don't have the, uh, her story in the back of the book. But anyway, if you practice that course of action, and that is to pray for that person for for two weeks, over and over and over, you will get rid of the resentment. That course of action on page five fifty two and five fifty three. You've got about a half page on one page and a half page on the other. 
to tell you how to get rid of the worst resentments in your life. Uh, this next paragraph on page 67 tells us it ties into the resentment prayer. See, what I've discovered, people reading this book, they do not tie the whole thing together, the whole course of action, the way Bill wanted to read it, uh, the way Bill wrote it. This next paragraph says, we avoid retaliation or argument. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chance of being helpful. Well, in the resentment prayer, said when a person offended us, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. This next paragraph says, we cannot be helpful to all people. But at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. How many resentments will this course of action work on? If you haven't got the result, you haven't worked the step. Now, there's a checkpoint. You know, uh, Dr. Bob took all the steps in one day. Uh, he made a commitment to take the action to work the whole program. And how we become willing to make amends to other people in terms of practicing the resentment prayer or practicing the prayer or the course of action from 552 and 552. 553. If you haven't got the results, you haven't taken the, haven't worked the step. That's why the old time on page, uh, 76, it said we had made a list, an eight step list. We're willing to make amends to them all. We did that in our fourth step. If you're having trouble with certain people in your life, it's simply because you haven't took the action that it tells you to do. Okay. Uh, back to page 67. Where have we been selfish? This side self-seeking and fighting. So a situation not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man. When we saw our faults, we listed them, we placed them before us in black and white. That's what I call the second part of the fourth step. When we saw our faults, we listed them, we placed them before us in black and white. If you don't write them down, you will not do anything about it. You need this list for step six and seven. Invariably, you go to meetings on step six and they'll drag out to twelve and twelve because it doesn't write anything about, got one small paragraph on step six. Well, it didn't work that way with me. I, I, I think it's my wife's sponsor that put me on the right track on that. When you saw your faults, you listed them. You know, we only have two kind of feelings, positive feelings and negative feelings. The positive feelings never did cause the same problem. They're, they are probably ingredients of love. You can't give me a definition of love anymore than you can give me a definition of fear. All of our negative character traits, I think, are ingredients of fear. But so when we saw our faults, we listed them, we placed them before us in black and white. If you really understand what you're doing, the way the old timers taught it, it, it was, they pretty much ended up the excess use of the seven basic instincts that you, Bill talks about in the 12 and 12. Pride, greed, lust, anger, envy, gluttony, and sloth. And there are many variations of using those Negative character traits. 
My wife sponsored gave me a book. Had a book that was written in 1955 in the spring. It's written up in Missouri by a Catholic priest. It gives about a hundred different definitions and examples of what you've been test of character. That's what I used in my uh, step six. I guarantee you it's a whole lot longer than the 12 and 12. Back to the book. We had placed him before us in black and white. We had made our wrongs honestly. We were willing to set these matters straight. See, we had become willing to set the matter straight by practicing a resentment prayer or that course of action on 552. Notice the word fears back alongside the difficulties around Jones, the employer, and the wife. This short word somehow touches about every aspect of our life. It is an evil and corroding thread, the fabric of our existence is shot through with it. You see, when you get a resentment, and you're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-seeking, self-delusion, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they're heard of seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find sometime in the past we made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. And it set in motion chains of circumstance which brought us misfortune we felt we didn't deserve, but did not we ourselves set the ball rolling. Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed with stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. Why is it classed with stealing? Because it robs us of our peace of mind. Page 68. We reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper even though we had no resentment connection with them. What I asked them to do on the fear part is go back as far back as they can remember. All fears affect our self-esteem, our security, our ambition, our personal and sex relations. To go back as far back as they can remember and write about all the fears that they got, how it affected them. Fear of dying, fear of losing a loved one, fear of failure, fear of success, fear of inadequacy, fear of relationships. Still writing about fear, I mean resentment. Resentment is always person, places, and things. Write about self-pity. If your boss eats you out for something you did or did not do, you don't retaliate, you step it. Most drunks, when they get the program of alcoholics anonymous, their supper is full. Because they step these feelings all of their life, and it affects our self-esteem, our security, our ambitions, our personal relationships. So go back as far back as you can remember and write about all these things that you've been stepping all your life. See, the next sentence says, we ask ourselves why we had these fears. And that's motive. And Bill answers it. He said, wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? Self-reliance is good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. And when it made us cocky, it made it worse. The next paragraph is the result of practicing step three. Perhaps there's a better way we think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trust again relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to do, to play the role he assigns just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him does he enable us to match calamity with serenity. And that's the result of, take, of turning your thoughts and your actions over the care of God. 
You know, in doctor's opinion, we drink because we like the effect it produced. We had a calamity in our life, we got drunk. Bill in the 12 and 12 and step 10 says it's a spiritual axiom. When we're disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with us. It's always step 10. We're trying to figure out how somebody else should act, and they don't act that way, and we get resentment. The next paragraph is how we get rid of the fears, the fear prayer. We never apologize to anyone for depending on our Creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality awake awakeness. Paradoxically, is a way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate to us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he'd have us be. At once, we commit to outgrow fear. Well, here is where I'll tell them to make appointments for their fifth step. If they do the first three parts of the fourth step, make appointments then before they ever start on the second portion of the fourth step. I don't know why it is, but uh, most drunk, that's the first thing I want to write about when they come into Alcoholics Anonymous and do the second part of the inventory. And uh, I suppose so they go ahead and keep doing what they've been doing. But what you really do in the fourth step you learn how to t- to uh, find solutions to all sex problems, selfishness, dishonesty, and resentment and fear. But I have to make appointments so they finish the whole fourth step one day and do the fifth step the next day. If you go ahead and try to do the whole thing and then wait two or three weeks to get an appointment for your fifth step, it will eat your lunch. I've seen it happen too many times. So I encourage people to do their four, uh, make appointments for their fifth step, then they know exactly precisely when they're going to do the fifth and they can finish it slow up or, or speed up, either one to finish one day and do the fifth step the next day now about sex many of us need an overhauling there but above all we try to be sensible on this question it's so easy to get off the way off the track here we find human opinions running to extremes, absurd extremes perhaps one set of voices cry that sex is the lust of our lower nature, a base necessity of procreation. Then we have the voices who cry for sex and more sex, who bewail the institution of marriage, who think that most of the troubles of the race are traceable to sex causes. They think that we do not have enough of it or that it isn't the right kind. They see its significance everywhere. One school will allow a man no favor for his fare, Another would have all of us on a straight pepper diet. We want to sell this controversy. We do not want to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. We all have sex problems. We'd hardly be human if we didn't. What can we do about them? You know, it's kind of funny. It seems like there's, uh, you hear a lot of sponsor teller, sponsors, sponsoree don't get a relationship for the first year. Book don't say that. It's not bad advice. It, it, in fact, it's good advice simply because new people in that A, and I, I've seen this happen a few years ago. A guy come in that A and sober about a month, moved in with a guy sober two months, and uh, they were getting along fine. He got real busy sponsoring new people, going to treatment centers, and she got real busy uh, uh, helping girls out. They had a real beautiful relationship for three or four years. 
then it finally started to deteriorate. They done everything in the world to try to keep that relationship together, and they finally they separated. They didn't get drunk, but the two of the most miserable people I had seen in a long time. But what happens if these new relationships when you first come in that age? They take all the sick values of alcoholism into that relationship. It doesn't have a chance of a snowball. The, uh, it is not bad advice. What's funny about it is a drunk never would listen to the parents. Why would they listen to a sponsor? I've done this a certain way in this same outline. I've been going out since 1984 on the sex portion. But this back part is all new. I put that in there four or five years ago. I found out I was saying one thing and drunks didn't understand. Well, I thought they were understanding, but they didn't understand it. I know I was doing this workshop down in Houston about four or five years ago, and it was in a room that had about 300 people in it, and I asked that question, how many people in that, in that room had all types of sobriety, many years to just a few few months? How many people had made a list of set of values to live by with that, and, uh, there's one lady in that room held up her hand. And uh, so I changed the way I was trying to explain the fourth step on the next paragraph. Instead, we reviewed our own conduct over the years past, where it had been selfish, one, dishonest, two, inconsiderate, three, whom may be hurt, four, give an unjustifiably aroused jealousy, five, suspicion, six, bitterness, seven, and the next paragraph, it says, we subjected each relationship, was it selfish or not? So on this sex list I have here, the first eight things here are what I just read you. But what they didn't hear was what I was saying. And that the book says this. Did we unjustifiably arouse justice, suspicion, or bitterness? Where were we at fault, comma? What I'll tell them to do now is get eight pieces of paper and write a paragraph or a page on those eight things where was I at fault. And then it says, what should I have done instead? Let's get eight more pieces of paper, write a paragraph or a page, what should I have done instead? And you find out your settings of values to live by without creating more guilt and fear and shame and remorse. You set your own values, not your sponsor. You set them yourself. And while I try to share with people the way to really find out where they're standing on that, regardless of how long you've been now, Anonymous, if I go back to the, the book that we reviewed our own conduct over the years past, what I tell drunks to do at my house, go back to the very first relationship in junior high school or high school and write about that one person. Eight pieces of paper, write about where were you at fault. And then eight more pieces of paper, where was what you, you should have done instead. Then if they will go to today and write about the relationship they're in right now, and write about eight things of what they've been doing, where were they at fault, and what they should have done instead. You're going to find it's pretty much the same way you acted when you, that first relationship back in junior high school. That's become your personality, your character, the way you act and react. I think it is so important. That's why drunks have a terrible time in relationships. It's because they keep doing the same thing over and over and over. And this is so simple. If they would go back and find out what they've been doing wrong, 
to quit doing what they're doing is wrong. In fact, it's good that they understand it. The book says this. In this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound. No, I mean, back up. Horrible ripple, what you would have done said. We got this down on paper and we looked at it. If don't get down on paper and look at it, you're not going to change. So in this way, we tried to shape a sane and sound, sound ideal of our future sex life. Which subjected each relation to this test, was it selfish or not? We ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them, and that's a prayer. We remember always that our sex powers were God-given and therefore good, neither to be used lightly or selfishly, nor to be despised or loathed. Whatever our ideal turns out to be, we must be willing to grow toward it. We must be willing to make amends for we have done harm, provided that we do not bring about feel more harm than so doing. In other words, we treat sex like with any other problem. Now this is a textbook. We treat sex like any other problem. How do you do a tenth step? We treat any other problem like we did sex. So that gives you eight things to write about and eight things what you should have done instead. That's just the ideal. That's what the book says. In meditation, we ask God what we should do about each specific matter. The right answer will come if we want it. God alone can judge our sex situation. Counsel with others is often desirable, but we let God be the final judge. We realize that some people are as fanatical about sex as others are loose. We avoid historical thinking or advice. Suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we're sorry for what we have done, have the honest desire to let God take us the better things, we believe that we will be forgiven and we'll have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are the facts out of our experience. To sum up about sex, we're going to pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity, and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves harder into helping others. You're right in the middle of four-step, work with others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves and quite the imperious urge when to yield a mean heartache. If we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We begin to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. We begin to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies. That's the results of step four. For we look at them as six people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct and we are willing to straighten out the past if we can. See, it doesn't say we go become willing next week or next month or next year. We are willing to straighten out the past if we can and that's right now. If you haven't got the result, you haven't worked the steps. If you ever had any trouble with step eight, it's not step eight, it's step four. This book you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope you're convinced now that God can remove 
whatever self-will that has blocked you off from him. If you have already made a decision in an inventory of your strokes or handicaps, you have made a good beginning. That being so, you have swallowed and digested some big chunks of truth about yourself. At the end, when we finish up here, I'm going to have, uh, at the, when we get through, we're going to have a question and answer session at the end of the question and everything. That's why I keep learning and I'm so grateful that you, you do ask questions. So there'll be some people in here that want to ask the question and won't do it. Okay, chapter six into action. You have three and a half pages on step five. On page 76, the middle of the page, you have the result of the fifth step. It gives real simple instructions on, on how to do the fifth step. There's one thing I might point out that I know happened a few years ago. There's one, a young woman, there's less than 30, come over at my house, and uh, my wife had to be her sponsor, and uh, she had had two abortions. And uh, she went to a minister, I won't say which one, don't make any difference, but this minister gave her a course of action to take to get rid of all the guilt and the fear and the shame for doing that uh, abortion thing. And uh, the book says on page 74, though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by established religion. And there's so many people out there that have the education and the, the uh, ability to help people with their fifth step then sometimes people take their fifth step with people who are not really qualified to give a course of action to take. That's why I think it's real important that you pick out the right person. When I come in there, pretty much all the drunks in my in Oklahoma City area took their fifth step with ministers because uh, what had happened there in the 50s, uh, the ministers had... Uh, because it was a moral issue instead of disease. I think it was recognized by AMA in 1956. I know that Jonick in 1947 come up with a uh, acceptable definition of alcoholism or an alcoholic uh, where it could be treated as a, a disease. But Bill, when Bill wrote this book in 1939, it was a moral issue. It was not a disease in 1939 when he wrote this book. But what happened in the 50s there is they, for the first time, they had a success in the treatment of alcoholism by Alcoholics Anonymous. And all the church uh, ministers and, and from all the different religions were uh, uh intricate part of, of AA. Uh, they were very well, uh, it comes pretty much all the open meetings at the Club, I know. But uh, we also had a lot of ministers that spoke at AA conventions in uh, different parts of the country because they all come to AA to find out what AA was doing that the uh, religion was not religion was not doing. But anyway, uh, I, uh, on page 75 gives the results of the fifth step, and I had all of those things happen to me. I took my third step, this Catholic priest, just before I done my fifth step. And then I had all these things happen to me on page 75, but I had some other things that happened to me that uh, I'll share with you. You admit to yourself for understanding. You admit to God for forgiveness. You admit to another human being for humility. That's 
three more results than during your fifth step, like it says in the book. Uh, one of the biggest gifts I got, I found that God never did judge me. I had always judged myself. I discovered that there was no difference in any of the Ten Commandments. They were all the same. And one of the biggest gifts I got when I done my fifth step was I was able to forgive other people without judgment. Biggest gift of my life. I don't have to react to other people. Uh, the thing about, well, page 75, we can look the world in the eye. We can be alone, a perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we're on the broad highway or see hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Well, I had all those things happen to me, but the fifth step, the biggest gift I guess I got in my life was the, uh, what I call step five and a half. This next paragraph. I went down to my office. I read all chapter uh, five and chapter six up to this point. And what I had discovered, the book says, returning home and find a place where it can be quiet for an hour, taking the book. We thank God from the bottom of our hearts that we know him better. Take the book down from the shelf, return to the pages. That contains the 12 steps. Carefully reviewing the first five proposals, we ask if we have admitted anything, for we are building an arch to which we shall walk a free man at last. Is the work solid so far? Are the stones stopped in place? Have we tempted, skipped on the cement, put in the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Well, what happened to me after I read that, I realized I have not done anything about the second half of step one. When I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, I have not lost anything. I made more money the last year I drank than I had at any point in my life up to that point. I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, a brand new Lincoln Continental with a chrome wheel on the back, most egotistical drunk that ever showed up in that age. And when I come in, I, hey, I read the book and I read them first two steps. I accepted them. I didn't understand what I was doing. And I've completely skipped the last half of the first step. But when I carefully reviewed the first five proposals, I found that I had not done anything about that. And what I discovered in my fourth step was that I was powerless over the obsession of the mind. I had a mind that said I could do all kinds of crazy things. And my life is my life is more unmanageable today and it was not come into Alcoholics Anonymous because I'm more aware of the things I did. But I, I started practicing uh, what it said there and I went ahead and done step six and seven. Did not understand it. So I was in AA about 11 months and that seventh step prayer was the first prayer I was able to pray after I come into Alcoholics Anonymous. My Creator, I'm now willing that you have all of me, the good and the bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that stands away of my usefulness to you and my fellow. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. You now have completed step seven. Well, I've done step three, step five, step six, and step seven all the same day. So when reviewing that last half, that first step, I started practicing those first seven steps on a daily basis. And I was doing that an hour at a time. So I, my life is unmanageable because I'm powerless over the obsession of the mind. I got a mind that 
instinct. I can do all kinds of things. And I come to believe I can't do this by myself. So I'm making decisions to turn my thoughts and my actions over the care of God as I understand Him. I inventory it. I talk it over somebody. I become willing to change. And my Creator, I am now willing that you have all of me, the good and the bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character. I'll tell you what I discovered. I was two and a half years sober. I started to understand we're trying to practice those first seven steps on a daily basis. It was a process of surrender at different level of understanding on a daily basis. That process of letting go, I just don't know of any way of doing it any different. I know that Bill talks in 12 and 12 and step 7 about humility. Humility is a result of trying to practice those first seven steps on a daily basis. It's surrendering at a different level of understanding. And I learned that by practice. I did not, some days I do real good in practicing those first seven steps. Some days I don't. So I can always start my day over anytime I want to. I never let anything pile up on me. Now, on page 76, the next paragraph, on step 8, we have a list of all persons we have harmed to whom we're willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. I made the hardest nine-step amend I had to make in my life the very next day. Of them, three, five, six, and seven. The next morning, I called my wife's sponsor and asked her what I should do about making amends to my wife. Because I was one of those drunks that call up 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be home an hour and a half, and I'd come home for three days. I've done that over and over and over. My wife never did catch me out running around, but I knew she knew. I called up and I said, Bala, what did I do? I, 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 how do I do this? And she said, oh, if you don't get rigorous honest with yourself, you'll never stay sober. She said, there's a principle on page 80 that might help you. And that principle was this. Before taking drastic action which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If you have obtained permission, have consulted with others, and asked God to help in the drastic step is indicated, you must not shrink. Well, that's exactly what I did. I asked my wife's permission to tell her the exact nature of my wrong. I'm not telling anybody that's how they should do a nine-step amendment. I'm not saying that. Because the upshot of the whole thing is that... Uh, she went into shock and she ended up with her sponsors for three days. Uh, we were married over nine years at that time. She was sober a year. And uh, it completely changed our marriage. We were married over 47 years when she passed away. And we never had an argument. And we disagreed on almost everything. They give us complete freedom in our marriage. Uh, what really happened to me, six days after I got drunk and I went on that 12-step call, one of these old men shared with me after he'd done his fifth step, he got honest with his wife. And that man was married over 58 years when he passed away. He's sober 40 and a half years. He shared with me, that's exactly what he'd done when he, after he'd done his fifth step. I knew then that's what I needed to do. I didn't think I'd ever be able to do that. But I was more willing and able that, if I'd waited six months or a year, I never would have done that. But the next day, I was able to do that, and it changed my life. We have a textbook that gives us many different ways of how to make certain types of men, how to do certain things. 
Most alcoholics use page 67, except when to do so would injure them or others. But on page 81, it tells us exactly what to do. Whatever the situation, you usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel well to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further, though these, there may be justifiable exceptions. Though we lay down no rule of any sort, we have often found this the best course to take. What I'm telling you, it made all the rest of my ninth step amends real easy. It took me about 12 years to do that to my satisfaction. But uh, I can't emphasize enough the uh, importance of doing step 8 and 9, however you do them. Because those are the things that separate you from your fellow man and separate you from God. The more honest you're able to do and the more able to straighten out the wreckage of the past, you can really start living one day at a time without guilt and fear and shame and remorse. My sponsor told me, if you'll do what I'll tell you, you only have to do one fourth step. I really like that concept. He took me to page 84, but stop on page 83, I'll show you something. It helped me so much when I first got sober. Now, I call it the ninth step prayer. It's the last sentence of the first paragraph on page 83. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us a way of patience, kindness, tolerance, and love. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. He took me to page 84, middle paragraph, on step 10. So this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. That's why I was working on step 9. We have entered the world of the Spirit. Our next function is growing understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, step three. Dishonesty, resentment, and fear, step four. When these crop up, we ask God to remove them, step six and seven. We discuss it with someone immediately, step five. Make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone, eight and nine. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help, step twelve. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Step 11. You know, the first nine steps clean up all the garbage of the past where you can really start living one day at a time. And when you get to step 10, it's really a repetition of the whole 12-step program. It said it should continue for a lifetime. The people that get drunk or have slips or relapse or whatever you want to call them put practice in the program of alcoholics anonymous. It's usually a combination of selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. But it's spelled out specifically. And old Thomas taught after you've done the fifth step, well, on step 11, page 88, it tells you exactly what to do on the uh, 
when you retire at night, after you do the fifth step, we constructively review the day where we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid. Maybe some history people in here. If you are, those are the complete opposite of the four absolutes we got from the Oxford group. He played, Bill played twice in chapter five, twice in chapter six. I don't think he knew he'd done it, but he did. We will owe an apology. Have we kept something to ourselves that should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving towards all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time, or were we thinking of what we could do for others, or what we could pack into the stream of life? Tells you what to do every night after you do the fifth step. Next paragraph tells you what to do every morning after you do your fifth step. On awakening, let's think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. It tells you exactly what to do. And on page 88, we alcoholics run this one, so we let God discipline us in the way we have just outlined. That's the way Bill wrote this book. And the instruction in here is so simple, especially if you use the 12 and 12 as the reference book. When I come in there, Abe, we had 10 meetings here in Oklahoma City, 6 in Tulsa, 29 over the state. I had one out on me in the state. I'm, you know, in the state. And, uh, the old timers taught the program much as I outlined it to you today or my perception how they taught it. And it was so simple. You know, we got our program from the Oxford group. Selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear is the complete opposite of, of uh, absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, absolute love. Uh, back in the 30s, purity meant impure thoughts, fear. And from the Oxford group, we also got Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox, 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians. Faith, hope, and charity, and greatest these is charity. The book of James in the Bible. Faith without works is dead. What you had in the, before we got our program from the Oxford group, you had mostly in the beginning of AA, you had mostly atheists and agnostics. And none of the churches wanted anything to do with an alcoholic or drunk. They were called drunks back in those days, said alcoholic. When I become an alcoholic, that's a step up for me. But uh, back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, you had a bunch of uh, drunks, no place to go. Because of that, a bunch of non-denominational prayer groups sprung up. I took my fifth step May 3rd, 1955. I went to the International Convention in St. Louis. Bill Wilson signed my book. The sponsor, Abby Thatcher, Sam Shoemaker, Ed Dowling. All the drunks that wrote the book, many of them signed my book in St. Louis in 1955. It's in our Oklahoma archives. But when I come back from St. Louis in 1955, this man got sober one, one of the giants in Alcoholics Anonymous in Oklahoma. He got sober December 15th, 1942, Roy Scoville. And his wife, uh, one of the co-founders of Alanon here in Oklahoma. 52 years now Alanon. She died about five or six years ago. But one of still invited Gene and I to go to a 11th step program. With that prayer group for about six years, we had four or five Alanons in that group, and we had about 12, 15 drunks. We took turns, meeting in our homes, 
And we read all kinds of religious, esoteric, occult books, but they, uh, we studied the four gospels in the Bible. We had a little book called The Greatest Thing in the World, written by Henry Drummond in 1887, over a hundred years old. It's been republished a jillion times, all the types of different publishers. Interpretation 13 chapter 1 Corinthians. And in this book, he gives interpretation or complete analysis of love. Patience, kindness, generosity, humility, courtesy, unselfishness, good temper, godlessness, and sincerity. What we did in this program, we practiced one of them every day for a week and then we talked about it. We added two more words to that. One was tolerance and one was gravitate. So we had 11 things that we practiced on a daily basis and we talked about it every week. And because of this book, I really started to understand the program about Collectionomics. I started to understand step three. I started to understand step six and seven. Because I'm one of those persons that thoroughly believe that God is the only one that can remove defects of character, but you have to take some kind of action. It's kind of like God will keep you sober if you go to meetings and you read the book, you try to help somebody else. If you take the action and ask God to help you on a daily basis, you'll keep you sober. And because of that book, I started to understand step three. I started to understand six and seven. Because about that same time, I started to get some understanding of the fear prayer. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate to us what he can do. That's going to remove our fear and direct our attention to why he'd have us be. At once, we commence to outgrow fear. But to me, because of this little book, trying to take the action, most drunks never do find out what God's will is for them, but to find out what God's will is not, if they take the action on trying to work through 12 steps. They, uh, to me, that's kind of the whole program about collection on It's rigorous self-honesty, just uh, total surrender at a different level of understanding on a daily basis, practicing the first seven steps, and practice. If you don't practice, it doesn't mean anything. Because if you quit practicing it, you'll lose it. And to me, that's the whole program of our collection anonymous. I, uh, told you I would have, uh, opened this up for questions. I hope someone has some questions. I'll, I'll probably left out some stuff, but, uh, if I do, if you ask them, we'll try to find an answer. If I don't know, there's some people out here does know. Okay, any kind of questions that we can... Yes. I didn't understand exactly what you said. Instead of doing the four or five over... Well, uh, the question was, uh, should you use step four and five or, or uh, every two years or so, use step ten on a daily basis? Well, the Alzheimer's taught a whole 12-step program. Uh, you have uh, over a million sponsors in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pretty much all of them have a different program. The book Alcoholics Anonymous teaches you how to be a sponsor. Uh, the old timers taught a whole 12-step program. It wasn't work one step this week and one step next week. I will clarify that to this point. When I come in AA, all the meetings here in Oklahoma City were pretty much a step meeting. 
and uh, what they encourage the new people to do. Twelve and twelve ain't. I got sober out of the big book, not a little red book, not not the twelve and twelve. Twelve and twelve is less than a year old when I come in. And what they taught at uh, every meeting, read the big book on whatever step it was, read the twelve and twelve on that step. And so I did that for seven years, and I, I used both. I read each one of them before I, before I went to meeting. That's how I learned the program. And what you're asking is, every group is autonomous. They can do whatever. Uh, I come from up there in Colorado. They pretty much uh, want, first of all, take a group uh, of 10, 15 people through the whole 12-step program. So they do it different all over the United States. Some people don't use the big book at all. Uh, it's a matter of opinion, but they'll, the old timers taught a whole 12-step program, just as it says on page 84 of that middle paragraph, that it should continue for a lifetime. I do know this, the only way you learn it is by practicing it. I don't think you can do this program long, but if you put, uh, why I was taught, my perception how they taught, the first nine steps cleaned up all the garbage of the past where you can really start living one day at a time. The step 10 cleans up what you're talking about on a daily basis. There's many people you use step 10 to write about, uh, and people that write about a journal on a daily basis. They have, a, most of them have a real good program. I never did do that. I wasn't taught that, so I didn't, I never have wrote a 10th step. Because I try to do my program an hour at a time. I do not let stuff pile up on me. And and that's just me. I mean, there's, everyone does it a little bit different. My whole concept of what this book says, I think, is uh, to me, is so important. I don't think you can do it wrong if you do just what this book says to the best of your own concept or what you think it says. I think you're also put with a group of people that you need to try to help other people and also for them to help you. I thoroughly believe that, that you really uh, uh, are closer to people that you can relate to and talk to. But the way you learn to learn to, how to do it is to practice it. It doesn't make any difference where you practice it. I'm, I'm getting opinion in there, and I try not to put opinions in this, because uh, my opinion don't mean anything. It really doesn't. It, it's not important what I think. It's important what you think you ought to do. My wife was the best listener I ever, of anyone I've ever seen in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've seen nine Virginian people come through my house, pour all their troubles uh, out to my wife, and they get to, uh, she had this one answer for, for all of them. What do you think you ought to do? It was always right. And that, that's kind of what you're asking. <laughs> Why? Well, and I don't want to be facetious about it, but uh, you end up doing what you think you want, want, to, want to do. And that's pretty much the way drunks are. They end up doing what they want to do. So that's the whole thing I'm doing is more than anything. The reason we're losing so many people in that age, they quit practicing. I don't know whether that answers the question or not. Yes. What? Yes. What's on page 68, unbound paragraph? All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let Him demonstrate to us what He can do. 
Let's simply remove our fear, direct our attention to the way to have it be at once with the next out go fear. Yes. Yes. Oh, I, oh, I thought you had your hand up. Man, I can't see very good. I got a cornea transplant and they had six stitches out last week. Yeah. Uh, I don't know of any other way. The question was, uh, how do you get rid of fear? Uh, it goes with time, but, uh, it's just like that fear way Bill wrote that, all men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. I think the trust is built up in, as you practice and practice and practice. It's not something that, uh, some people it may be real easy and some people it may be real difficult. But the key to any of this, I think, is to practice it. Uh, where we really fail is we just quit practicing. Uh, we need to quit going to meetings or quit trying to help somebody else. The best thing that uh, I've found is trying to help somebody else. I know that's all I've done since I've been in AA is work with new people. I'm 77, and I have more fun than anybody as age goes. That, uh, because I've always uh, hung around new people. I don't, I don't want to hang around the old people. I just got back from Russia about three weeks ago with the... Uh, 44-year-old Russian over there didn't speak English. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, um, I don't really know if I ever did find out the difference between prayer and meditation. Uh, uh, it's a, meditation has really uh, changed your thinking of, of positive uh, action and positive thoughts. And uh, that's always been, it's impossible to do that. One thing, if you're really trying to practice love, as you understand it, uh, of patience and kindness and generosity and humility and good temper, then by practicing all those things, you automatically do it. That's, that's the way I find it. And I, I'm probably not saying that right, but uh, I think everybody may do it a little bit differently. And those things that uh, what we get comfortable with and what we try to practice over and over and over until it becomes part of your character, your personality. Uh, that's really, uh, I'm not saying it right, but that's my understanding. Anyone else got any thoughts on that? Talk a little louder, huh? Yes. Yeah, there are so many books out on uh, prayer and meditation. Uh, there are so much, there really are so many of them. There have been for years and years and years. There's more so from, uh, all oh, back in the, when the alcoholism was a disease and it was a moral issue, they had many, many books on prayer and meditation and, uh, of course communication has a lot to do with that also. They had a lot of ministers that they're, they're preaching or whatever ended up in books and, uh, uh, a lot of spiritual stuff in the 30s and the 40s. But there are many, many books to read about. It. It's just the whole deal uh, that I found is being in a group of people that try to do the same things that you're trying to accomplish. I've seen that back for many times too, that there's a lot of people that get off in a prayer group and so forth and start reading meditation books and so forth. And uh, they, that becomes their primary instead of 
AA being their primary. I've seen it, uh, at failures at, at that too. They, uh, the success is if you try to live the 12 steps on a daily basis, uh, the only thing I know, or I have any experience on. So I've seen many people that, uh, tried something else and put a, a second, uh, got drunk. 